Liquid gold. Go for it, Mike. All right, where the scraps from your kitchen and the leaves in your yard can be turned into black gold. Welcome back to a new series on liquid gold, Garden Teened. We are quarantined to the garden, as it were, or maybe just the outside world, looking to get out in nature and explore a little bit. Maybe we're going to plant a garden. Maybe we just want to check out all the plants that are out there. Maybe we have a garden in our yard already, and we don't even know about it. This is Liquid Gold, a podcast about beverage, where we have taken a detour into Garden Teen, a new series that we're doing here on We Own This Town, weownthistown.net, the We Own This Town podcast network. Shout out to Michael Eads, producer Michael Eads. What's up, brother? And all the fine content you can find on We Own This Town, San Dimas has been venturing into Fast and Furious. That's been a favorite of mine lately. So check out them along with Ladyland, another podcast on We Own This Town that we recommend. Shout out to Jess Matchin, who did all our lovely Garden Teened and Liquid Gold artwork, is always working on cool things for our Instagram and does lovely art as well on her Instagram at Jess underscore Matchin, M-A-C-H-E-N. My name's Mike Wolf, and I'm your host here, along with my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Dedman. We'll be checking in with Kenneth. He has been taking some sojourns out to the middles of Nowheresburg across the uh, southern part of Texas, and we'll be checking in with him as he is on the road to various parts, various farms. He has friends out in the wide open world, and he's uh, paying a visit to them. It's maybe not what all of us are doing in this period of quarantine, but it is what Kenneth is doing. He's still doing Booze News reports, offering so much on that front. We want to give a shout out to some sponsors that we've had on these past episodes. Golden Moon Distilling out of Golden, Colorado. They make amazing liqueurs. Also, Wild Roots Spirits, Wild Roots Vodka out of Portland. They do amazing things. Check them out on their Instagrams as well. Now, last week we talked about flowers, honeysuckle, talked to some people about some flower waters over the past week. So we'll be covering a little bit of that, following up on that next week, right here on Garden Teened. And today we're going to talk a little bit about rhubarb, where you might get rhubarb if you want to plant some in your garden. It's kind of a process. It can be kind of a jam up, if you will, but I've got a few recommendations for you there, as well as... We talk about, on Garden Teen, our friends who are just hanging out in the garden, who maybe they've been there for a while. Maybe they come back every spring. And today we're talking about wood sorrel. Wood sorrel is a shamrock lookalike, often called false shamrock. So if you see something in your garden that appears to be clover, it could be clover. But if it has little yellow flowers, five-petaled little yellow flowers, ten stamens, then you could be looking at wood sorrel. Wood sorrel is a lovely, lovely little salad herb that comes out this time of year that has a lot in common with rhubarb. Rhubarb being an amazing spring ingredient, if you're lucky to already have had it in your garden, it would have been coming back to life as early as February, and now would just about be ready for you to maybe harvest a few tender little stalks, or maybe you'd want to wait till late May, early June, but rhubarb is an amazing spring ingredient Rhubarb and wood sorrel, what they have in common is the fact that they both have a lot of oxalic acid, and they both can add a punchy lemon-like acidic pop, 
wood sorrel especially, to your salads. Now, wood sorrel doesn't really have that unmistakable, sour, tart, almost leaning towards spice, very unmistakable, has a little bit of a fennel. Mm, What is it about rhubarb? It's just incredible. It's its own thing. It's hard to describe what it is. But fresh rhubarb is a special thing. Now, I will say that, and I mentioned this, I think, on a past episode, but my previous house that I was living in a few years back, three or four years ago, whatever it was, had two rhubarb plants there that I nurtured and loved, and they came back every spring and had really good luck with them. So no matter what people tell you in Middle Tennessee, I've had a few people who are like, no, you can't grow rhubarb here. Well, I grew it for four years and it did really well. And uh, it's it's one of those things that you will have to divide. So you'll have to take a take a shovel and divide the root and plant some in a different location about every five to six to eight years. But for me, rhubarb did just fine. So what did I do when I finally had a spot in my garden this year where I've been overhauling things, taking this time to get outside and really diversify what I've got out there and to utilize, the great thing about rhubarb is you can utilize a lot of the shade that you have in your garden. So if you have a part sun, part shade situation, now four to six hours for me has always been good for rhubarb. Recommended is around five to six hours, but I've done well with less, even in that, uh, well, especially in that hot southern sun. I think you'll have some luck with rhubarb as long as it's not full sun all afternoon. So I went with the folks at Indiana Berry and Plant Company. Now they're in Plymouth, Indiana. I went online. I got a few rhubarb crowns from them and they shipped them down to my house. I unwrapped them, got them out in the garden and planted them and There's some YouTube videos you can look up about how to kind of transplant these rhubarb crowns, how to plant them. The main thing is you don't want to put them deep into the ground where you can't see the tip of that rhubarb crown. You want to get them in the ground so that you can see just the beginning, just the tip of those rhubarb crowns coming out. So you'll see a little bit of that color or maybe just a little bit of green that is coming up from the rhubarb. And that's where you kind of want it in the ground. Then you can kind of build a little mound of dirt around that. You can sort of support it. But I had really good luck uh, planting my two rhubarb crowns from Indiana Berry and Plant Company. So shout out to them. No, uh, No sponsorship or anything. It was just somebody I went with and have had good luck with. They've got some cool rhubarb varieties. This is something that you could do uh, throughout this spring, but realize that when you are doing rhubarb from a, from a new crown, you're not going to really have any rhubarb to play around with until next spring. So I'm going to have to be patient. And Turnip Truck, our friends here in Nashville, Turnip Truck has been selling some rhubarb. You can find it at the grocery store. You can find it. It's a great ingredient to play with this time of year. And it's great with the strawberries that are about to come here shortly. We're going to talk more about strawberries on future episodes, but we're going to start here with rhubarb. We're going to move into strawberry. Strawberry and rhubarb, one of the most classic pairings, and I'm a believer in that. We are going to talk a little bit about an amazing strawberry cocktail with none other than Jess Backus from Charleston, South Carolina. Jess Backus runs the bar at Delaney Oyster House in Charleston, an amazing place that 
I can just say with a little bit of sadness was probably the last great meal I had in the old world that is a former world of incredible restaurants in America. Delaney House was an incredible experience. Kenneth and I were there uh, for dinner once together. This was about two months ago. Hard to believe where we're at now, but Jess Back is super talented. We're going to be talking to her. She's been doing kind of a fun project at home. She's been making cocktails, and she's also been pairing cocktails with movies. So we're going to talk about that. She's got a great strawberry cocktail recipe for us, and I always love talking to Jess. We think very alike when it comes to cocktails and kind of the European style of drinking. We both really love that. We default to that plenty, so we'll get into that. But yeah, rhubarb, a lot of fun to play around with and a great mainstay to have, especially if you are planting a garden, planning a garden now that you know you're going to be in for a few years or for a while. Maybe you just bought a house. Maybe you're renting and you're settling in and you're like, I like this place. I got a little garden. I'm going to get it going. You can also transplant that rhubarb down the road. But uh, rhubarb is the kind of thing that once you start growing, you put it in your garden, you want to be around to see it come back around every spring. You don't have rhubarb, you're not planning on planting it, then yes, our friend wood sorrel is probably popping up all over your garden right now. You probably, like me, I have so much coming up that I'm like, look, uh, hey, look, I'm trying to grow some parsley right here. My friend, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I'm going to have to ask you to go because my parsley needs the nutrients. I can't have you growing right here. You're coming up elsewhere. I've got plenty of you around. Wood sorrel everywhere. But uh, also, I have to say, clipping some wood sorrel, throwing it into a salad, it's just amazing. It's akin to squeezing a little bit of lemon over whatever you're eating. This wood sorrel has this intense lemony, uh, acidic pop to it that's just beautiful. The flowers as well, which you'll notice, are opening there in the full sunlight and then are closing as the light fades from their grasp. You'll see these little things fold up these beautiful little yellow flowers. And then as we get into the next few weeks, the little seed pods will close up. And Chris Bennett, Forager Man, at Forager Man on Instagram, Chris Bennett, incredible author and writer and forager extraordinaire. I've learned a lot from him over the years. And one of his favorite things to eat, his favorite things just out there and about, out there for us in the garden of life is the wood sorrel seed pods, which are just incredible. So keep an eye out for those. The flowers will turn into these seed pods that are packed with flavor. They're like these little seeds, these little garden caviar, lemony, burst, lovely poppy seed things that we'll have to kind of uh, get into a little bit more as we get into this show today. Oh, and I do have a really cool rhubarb recipe from Jenny's Ice Cream that I don't think they're going to sue me if I share it because they posted it on their wall. It's like a poster that they had on the wall for years. They have an incredible rhubarb crisp dessert. So I'm going to hook you in and you're going to have to wait for that. Now, let's call Jess Backus and see what's up with her in her world. All right, here we are on the line coming to us live from Charleston, South Carolina. Quarantine, gardentined. She is the head bartender at... Delaney House, which I I was talking about just a few minutes ago on the show, was probably the last great dining experience maybe I'll ever have in my life. No, but maybe the the last great dining experience that I had before the world changed. Um, A lot of it, thanks to you, Jess, 
and everything that you do. How are you holding up? Doing really well. Um, I'm, that's a huge, a huge compliment. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Now that dining has changed as we know it probably forever. Hopefully those are the memories we hold on to. So I am definitely holding on to that memory. Cause it's like, yeah. should we do the caviar service tonight? We did it last <laughs> night. Now I'm like, do I have hot dogs in the freezer? Yeah. Or do I, I have, know how many times I've Googled caviar on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> It's out of my budget now that uh, now that I don't have a job. Just insane. You can go to the Dewberry right across the yeah. street. Oh, yeah. What an amazing little corner. I just found that just so inspiring and so incredible to just like, I can go over there and have a drink and kind of sit there. Then I can go back to Delaney and why, where where else do I even need to go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's amaz- There's a, plenty of places to go in Charleston right. now. But, but yeah, it's, it feels like you can really, you know, stay close to home and have everything you need. So Oh, I can't, I can't wait. Maybe it's going to take a year for me to get back there, but I know you guys are going to be open sooner than that. But I don't know when I'm going to get back. Hopefully it's sooner than that, where I just want to walk back and forth. And if when I get the chance to do that, I'm just going to walk back and forth like <laughs> four times in the span of one night. Excellent. As you should. Let's get that on the books. You just got to get your fancy jacket and take it on and off as you go in and out of the Dewberry. Oh, Not God. Style, I just, know? I can't wait. I'll take buy a new. F- yeah. Oh, God. I can't wait. <laughs> um, but we we have always uh, gotten along on the kind of European style of drinking. We had you on the vermouth episode. We talked about Italian grandpa drinks. What's an Italian grandpa drink? It's a little bit of vermouth, a little bit of amaro, a little bit of soda, maybe a lemon zest. Is there any, just to pick up from where we left off, is there any uh, Italian grandpa drinks that you're drinking at home that you've been making at home? I know you're making some cool cocktails. Yeah, so uh, I stumbled upon an old favorite that you introduced me to, which is the, um, the Kina Lero Dior. Um, oh damn like i think like airplane of gold or something like that is what it means in french perfect really cool aperitif so bonal is always a really good kind of standard fallback um because it's so many flavors just in one ingredient yep and kina's kind of like the little sort of sparkly fancier cousin to bonal you know, so it's got a lot of cool depth, a lot of cool bitterness and tons of like floral aromatics and things like that. So there's a lot going on in that thing. And it's really great with ingredients that are fresh right now as everything is blooming and everything is really sort of coming alive for the spring and the summer. So I've been just kind of like muddling some strawberries and uh, putting the, the quina in with that with a little bit of soda and a little lemon peel. And it's just super delightful. Oh, that sounds amazing. That's yeah. like spring is born. Spring is born. Spring is born. That's incredible. So you guys are lucky because we are, so we're about to have strawberries, like local strawberries here, I think in a couple weeks. It's been a pretty good, uh, the weather's yeah. been decent for it, not too warm. We're about to see a, a spike in warmth out here where strawberries will really start to mature. And apparently next week we're going to see some. Um, but you guys have had them there for a few weeks, and we've got a great strawberry recipe that, or strawberry cocktail um, that you've been making. We're going to talk about that a little bit in just a little bit here. But you've also been, we've been texting, we've been talking about this little project that you've been doing at home that I think is fascinating. You've been pairing 
cocktails with movies. Yes. That, that's yeah. that's that's a lot of fun. Two of my favorite things, like an Xbox pancake, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Xbox pancake. Tell us about that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's just a reference to one of my favorite shows. Because you know how watching the news and seeing everything that's happening in the real world is kind of depressing? Yeah. And so what better way to lighten your mood than to watch a little Parks and Rec and uh, Chris Pratt's character uh, at one point makes a comment about how dinner parties are like putting two of your favorite things together, like an Xbox pancake. <laughs> so we sort of uh, <laughs> spun that into an Italian grandpa drink where whatever my two favorite things to drink at the time would go into the drink and that was what we would call the xbox pancake so if you go to bars around town and ask for it everyone has a different version oh i love that that's great (laughs) all right so mine right now would be um and this is going to be a little weird but this happened to me one day where the these were three things i had on hand okay um, now I've got two versions of this. One's kind of weird. One was actually pretty amazing. So one was I had dry vermouth. I always keep some dry vermouth around for the martinis. Yeah. I had some Bonal that we mentioned earlier, the French sidewalk sipper kind of a, a vermouth with all these uh, herbs and roots and things from the Grand Chartreuse Mountains. So I had the yeah. Bonal and I had some beer, like literal beer. I mean, cerveza. Yeah. And so I tried those together. It was really cool on the rocks. It was it was very delicious. And then my next level version, and I'll just give a recipe. Say I did ounce dry vermouth, ounce and a half bonal, and I had the Haritos grapefruit soda. Oh, delicious. And that was pretty phenomenal. Now, I didn't eat a lot of that. I would say maybe an ounce and a half of the soda. Could do more if you want to, if you want to make it a little longer of a drink, but um, I didn't need a ton. Because there's so mm-hmm. much sugar in that stuff. Um, I squeezed yeah. a little bit of lime in there. And the reason I had the lime and the Haritos from my grocery pickup order was um, I couldn't go any longer without having a Paloma. So <laughs> we were making... a lot of Palomas, Yeah, yeah. Palomas are like, yeah. like fuck it all. I'm going to have a Paloma. So simple and so delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Salty, boozy, sweet. Yeah. It's just so like I, cocktail I, yeah. candy. I went so far one day as to make a Paloma riff uh, with an orange knee high and a little bit of Campari, and it was delicious. Oh, damn. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So tequila, salt, <laughs> lime. Did you use lime in that one? Uh, yeah. So tequila, yeah. salt, fresh like lime. lime. Tequila, salt, a little bit of Campari, orange knee high, and uh, lime. Yeah. That sounds unfair. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like, because like Orange Knee High and Campari, that's like adult candy squared. Exactly. You might need two squeezes of lime. Oh my God. That's amazing. I'm going to remember that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, all right. So, so you, your, beer, your beer cocktail. My beer cocktail was, no, it was good. It was good. Um, but yeah. the the grapefruit soda one oh, the grapefruit soda was was, was yeah. incredible. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's that's kind of what you do when you're doing Xbox pancake style, Italian grandpa style. What do you have? What do you have that's a vermouth? That's a wine? That's a little bit of soda? And that's what you want to kind of get ready for dinner and get yourself ready for the night. Get your digestive system ready. 
Yes. And that's the whole idea, the ritual of that. Yeah. And we love that. We do. So you've been doing this pairing cocktails with movies. Yeah. What have been some of your favorite pairings? Um, so I've actually had some really great discoveries that were movies that were a little bit older that I wasn't either very familiar with or needed to revisit. And it was really funny watching the movie while having a cocktail and going, man, this is really neat because it's not necessarily that, you know, the easy one is like James Bond and the Vesper. Yep. You know, and it's really cool when you have something like that where he's actually giving the recipe of the cocktail in the movie, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah. Amazing. However you choose to make it, you know, you're enjoying it at the same time and it's like kind of fantastic. But the pairings that I like, which is kind of how, we used to do a lot of drinks with food and stuff like that in the restaurant is basically things that have the similar, like make you feel the same kind of thing, give you the same kind of emotional connection, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, one of my favorites that I've been doing is the corpse survivor in carnival, which is not a movie. It's a television series, but it's only two seasons long, Mm -hmm. but definitely if you watch too much of that in one sitting, just like if you have too many corpse survivors, it's just bad news. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But there's that one fits together, you know, on so many levels. But um, doing uh, the hanky panky with the movie Funny Face Ooh. with Audrey Hepburn. Oh. oh, man. That was one where it's, you know, you don't really think of it as a pairing. But then yep. when you think about the hanky panky as a cocktail and you think about Audrey Hepburn as a person and an actress and then also her character in the movie being kind of torn between this life of elegance and the life of like sort of philosophical rebellion and things like that, you know, it kind of it kind of like fits what a hanky panky does, you know, which is this really cool, elegant drink that's like pretty classic and almost sort of like a ballroom you know, gown mm-hmm. with just like a little bit of naughtiness under the knickers with the front there. You know? Ooh, naughtiness under the knickers. And it's that's uh, great. It's it's, <laughs> it's really kind of cool how those how the drink and the movie go together, not because of word association or anything like that, but because of what they represent and how they make you feel. Damn, that's beautiful. So naughtiness, so, naughtiness under the knickers would be my um. <laughs> Hanky panky riff. Okay. That uh you know, that we'll have to maybe revisit in the fall. But so can you give us a little hanky panky recipe that uh you were making for our for our yeah. thirsty listeners? Yeah, for sure. So uh my hanky panky I like to do equal parts gin and sweet vermouth. So ounce and a half of each. And then basically two the sweetness of your vermouth or the potency of your gin start with like a bar spoon of fernet. I usually do a quarter. Nice. And that's just because oftentimes I'll do a vermouth that is either a little more texture to it and you kind of want to cut through that and make sure it's not too sweet. Or if you're using a really versatile gin because you don't want to buy seven different gins for everything you need to at your house, especially when you're quarantined and limited with space. Yeah. You have a, you know, a good kind of like across the board versatile gin and uh you know just kind of keep everything in balance so incredible so you're stirring that up yes sorry so uh just stirring it until it gets nice and harmonious you know just like with a negroni you kind of taste the drink evolve Mm -hmm. as it dilutes and as it chills and as the uh all three ingredients come together and then 
depending on your preference again like sometimes i'll throw a coop in or i'll gently place a coop in my freezer yeah so i can have it nice and up and cold and that's that's kind of how i prefer to do it but every now and then if you can freeze a couple big rocks or something like that just throw it on a fancy ice cube. Excellent. Who doesn't have time to make fancy ice cubes at home right now? Right. We got time. Yeah, <laughs> we got time. We got time. Make a fancy ice cube. So your cocktails have gotten a little bit nicer at home then. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's, that's been common. Well, I mean. Not nicer, but just maybe a little more refined. I don't know. Now that I'm not making them anywhere else, I have more time to put into it at home. Totally. Totally. I'm always going to have a little refinement, but also the simplicity is great. And that's why the Hanky Panky is a great cocktail as well, mm-hmm. because it's very few ingredients, but with a lot of character, a lot of depth and a lot of surprise, that little element, the kind of like of surprise that sort of jumps up on you and like gives you a little tickle, you know, and you're like, Hey, there's still something going on. There's a lot of lingering complexity to it. Yeah. And I think we can, we can direct our listeners to making that cocktail because what's amazing about that drink that really stands out is it's a fernet cocktail that the fernet's not really gonna hit you over the head it's the kind of the finish of the drink where you're like wait where's the fernet you might smell it you might smell it initially but like when you taste that drink it takes a second and then by the by the time you're you're tasting the fernet on the finish of the drink you're like oh like it, it really makes sense. It's not, it's not like a, an afterthought or it's not like, Oh, I thought it'd be cool to add some Fernet to this Martinez. It's, no, it's a, it's a whole different world. And it yes. doesn't even really, if you didn't tell someone that there was Fernet in it, if they weren't super familiar, you probably wouldn't know. And I would say 99% of the people who I even have a conversation about the drink, as soon as I say Fernet, they shy away. And yeah. as soon as they taste the drink, they say it's the best drink they've had that night. That's pretty cool. I mean, that will change, and it, it because it it doesn't have any of the polarizing, abrasive character that people associate with Fernet when they usually first have a very sort of abrupt introduction to it, and so it changes. It'll change people's minds about Fernet. Probably not about whether or not they want to shoot it straight, but yeah, about, about its value in in the you know, cocktail liar in the spirit library. Yeah. And in small amounts for sure. Yeah. And that'll make it last on your, on your home bar situation, I guess. Yeah. Cause bartenders probably buy <laughs> bartenders, buy it, throw it in the freezer or keep it on the bar shelf. And they're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep this around, make some drinks from it. And <laughs> next thing you know, it's like, I just yeah. had a big plate of spaghetti and I need to drink for for the rest of the night. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to get a sponsorship from the Bronco Fratelli people so that I can afford it. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, hey, we'll help you out however we can. <laughs> All right, what other uh, what other film and cocktail pairings have excited you on your your little quarantine journey of film yeah, and cocktails? So, um, I did a couple like fun island tiki sort of things. Oh so yeah, different plays on stuff like like things like the painkiller. Um, and, uh, there's a drink that's, that's kind of like a painkiller. So imagine like rum, pineapple, coconut, and then this place I used to go to in Costa Rica would throw fresh bananas in the blender and they would do a little rum floater and they call it a banana cocal. And it's like, ooh, super tasty. Kind of like a pina colada painkiller type of thing, but with fresh bananas blended into it. Dang. And, uh, we paired that with Captain Ron. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it's one of those things where when you first taste it, you're like, oh, what is this? And then as you sip it, you're like, oh, this is pretty good. It's like watching Captain Ron. You're like, what is this shit? <laughs> and by the end of it, you're like, man, I want to live on a sailboat in the Caribbean. Yeah, you're like, I could do that. I could do that. Yeah. So that's a good one. And oh, then, that's uh, good. Yeah. So one of the other things that I've we've really been enjoying is just doing different plays on um, kind of nice, either old or modern classics. And I did a little twist on the Clover Club and Ooh. used a little bit of dry vermouth of Dolan. But instead of the raspberry syrup, just put strawberry jam from my fridge in with it. And mm. uh, super, super delicious. Um, and then discovered even more that I like doing the old Cuban with a little bit of strawberry in there, whether it's fresh strawberry or strawberry jam, just instead of simple syrup. And uh, so the old Cuban's been kind of the big winner um, with just a little bit of strawberry. And that fun kind of twisty thing, I have a couple of pairings, but it's more, this is a little bit different. So it's kind of like <laughs> Carnival's a TV show, not a movie. Mm-hmm. The old Cuban, I'm actually pairing with the actor Bobby Cannavale, ah. who uh, the movies that you can watch that he's in pair well with the old Cuban. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, it sounds a little bit crazy. He himself is, is not old. You know, he's a very handsome half Cuban actor, uh, character actor, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, so the most sort of like simple, easy, straightforward thing is he's one of the, plays one of the sous chefs in the movie Chef. Okay, sure. John Favreau goes around and makes Cuban sandwiches and stuff like that. Yeah, starts a food truck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, even better is (laughs) the movie Spy. Okay. Which is kind of like a satirical riff on like a James Bond movie. Like, uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. uh, He plays one of the villains, but the movie Spy is great because it is kind of like an old Cuban, which is sort of like a whimsical, more elevated mojito riff basically you know you're doing a little bit of aged rum and a little bit of champagne in place of soda water and light rum right and Um, yes and we got we got to say before we get into the recipe of it the that the old cuban cocktail pegu club original and we just found out today i think it might have been today or yesterday uh pegu club is going to close indefinitely not going to open so it's one of the great I, yeah. I mean, uh, big props, big respect to the Pegu Club. The old Cuban definitely came from the Pegu Club. Definitely came from another amazing female bartender, like the Hinky Pinky. But right, right. Yeah, Audrey Saunders uh, opened the Pegu Club, created the old Cuban. The Hinky Panky and the old Cuban are cocktails that we would probably settle on no matter what. But it makes it kind of more special tonight to talk about it because we're probably going to be hearing about all kinds of different bars and places that we love that are never going to open again which is not to get so sad it's so unfortunate but it's the it's the crazy reality of the times that we that we find ourselves in but the old cuban needs to live on and i think through professionals like you and everybody else we talk to on this show um i think it's a cocktail that can live on for sure because it's a beautiful drink um, okay, so what? Again, simple but really delicious and really complex, and and has so many layers to it. Yeah. So, so what exactly is an old Cuban? So an old Cuban. So if you were to take your basic mojito recipe of muddling sugar, or simple syrup with limes and mint, 
adding white rum and then topping it and ice and then topping it with soda water. In Old Cuban, you used aged rum in place of the white rum Mm -hmm. and you use sparkling wine in place of the soda water and usually you should i think you should but you can drink drinks however you like but i like to put it in a coupe yep because it gives it that nice little clean flair clean mouthfeel yep double string your mint so your drink is clean looking you know yeah it's definitely i think it's one of the one of those drinks that you really got to double strain and put up in a cute in a coupe because it is, it's it's a little of a more elevated, elegant, celebratory play on a mojito. Definitely. So you keep it clean, you keep it nice, you honor whatever bubbles you use, you honor whatever rum you use, mm-hmm. you know, and then if you, you know, like I've been doing for the season, muddling strawberry or strawberry jam into it instead of sugar, regular sugar, mm. then you get that beautiful sort of rosy color on it, but the double string keeps it nice and clean. So you don't have any little bits or anything. So it's still, you know, you can taste everything and you can smell the aromas on it are amazing, but there's nothing else in your face. Sounds incredible. And plus you got strawberry and mint work so well together. You got strawberry and lime work so well together. Yeah. Lime and mint work so, so well together. So delicious. Oh, yeah. All right. Will you run down the recipe for us? Yeah. And also, so, will you mention, will you mention how you're doing the, the jam? Because I think that's, uh, that's a nice little technique to pass on to everybody is you've got jam in your in your refrigerator and it's a great yeah. ingredient to use for cocktails especially nice jam or maybe homemade jam that was passed to you by by a friend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great, but really like whatever you have that you like the flavor of and the texture of it, what I've been doing basically is taking so if you think about a recipe that would call for half an ounce of of simple syrup or half an ounce of whatever syrup or sweetener that you're using. I equate that to a, about, and, and you do it really to your taste, but about a tablespoon or a light tablespoon, somewhere between a teaspoon and a tablespoon of jam. So if you're measuring cool. things out, I think mostly in dry measurements, but basically two, two tablespoons equals an ounce. Mm-hmm. Okay. So really I do like between a teaspoon and a tablespoon to equal about half an ounce of syrup. And so I'll take a half, you know, a light tablespoon of the jam about six to eight nice fresh mint leaves a couple wedges of of lime and then just gently muddle all that together so you're really just pressing the mint oils into the sugar of the jam and getting the lime oils into that as well dang not to like crush everything apart so just muddling jam into the the mint leaves and lime wedges and then i like to add a little more lime juice like squeeze you know another quarter to half ounce of actual lime juice in there Mm -hmm. and i like to go a little heavier ounce and a half to two ounces of rum is great beautiful i like two ounces of rum because i like a nice full delicious cocktail sure (laughs) yeah great texture yeah and we're not going to work tomorrow yeah (laughs) it's best to use something that has a little bit of age but not anything too fancy so what i have at home right now is the el dorado five year i like the florida Kanye stuff as well perfect it's inexpensive but it's delicious and it has it has good texture it's not the spiced rums with all the caramel added but Mm -hmm. Adds good texture, adds a little bit of that vanilla thing to it, you know. Sometimes I'll do some tiki bitters. Ooh, lovely. Um, sometimes I'll put a couple drops of coffee bitters in. Mm. Um, my coffee bitters have a little bit of that kind of Christmas spice to them. Okay. So, yeah. Sounds Shake, great. 
double strain into a chilled coupe, top with, you know, ounce, ounce and a half of sparkling wine. And then you can put, I like to put a little mint sprig just in the center of the coupe. Or if you have sorrel, sorrel is an amazing thing too. Or if you have the rhubarb, a little strip of rhubarb will like spin around. You know, oh yeah peel it with a vegetable peeler mm-hmm. and just kind of twist that in and drop it in the center It'd be really cool totally fun note about the rhubarb that's a really easy way to stretch it out if you've got a stalk of rhubarb and you just want to use it in cocktails as a garnish you can peel that rhubarb and uh you can use that stalk in a whole bunch of different drinks so yeah um and it's it's really neat how it's like peels like little twirly ribbons and it's beautiful super cool that sounds delicious yeah so we hear the reports from Charleston. Uh, it all kind of came late to Charleston and is is gaining steam there in terms of uh, the number of people infected or what's going on there. But what do you hear in terms of when you might be able to reopen, when you might be able to, to get back behind the bar? Yeah. So it's hard to say. I think it could be potentially another month. Yeah. Um, because, which I'm very thankful that our company, the company who owns the Delaney Oyster House, is, is definitely being on the cautious side. For sure. So they've said they don't want to reopen, you know, based on what politicians say, but based on what medical professionals say. Yep. You know, when you can go to the store and buy enough sanitizer or enough cleaning supplies for your own house, then you can think about going out and trying to disinfect your restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Right. We're still in a situation where you can't find toilet paper anywhere. Wow. So yeah. So we'll see. It's definitely, I think the Kevin has talked about doing bottled cocktails and how the scope of service is going to have to change and, it's pretty funny because a lot of the things that I've been making since I've been home, I'm like taking notes on what we can put into practice. It's super easy and sustainable, but really like delicious and really dynamic. And a lot of them can go into bottles pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I've been, I've been playing with different, you know, I love to put like coffee and, and tropical fruits together and rum drinks and things like that. And so I've been doing a kind of play on a hurricane as well just using you know like juices that are coming in the produce bags and things like that and just sort of playing around with different flavors and all the stuff that we have around and I'm like, super yeah, cool put that in a bottle yeah and you've got the hotel folks like walking over for brunch for the next day yeah, that's probably you just be like hey here's a little cold brew hurricane for you yeah. boom <laughs> have fun <laughs> have fun today <laughs> yeah, exactly so, oh man yeah so we'll see i mean it, it's definitely uh, gonna be a different world um if and when we get to go back out there and start making dreams come true again oh man well you made my dreams come true and <laughs> so myself and my wife and kenneth and vilda was there <sighs> so good to see you guys. one of the great memories of restaurants before the, the uh whatever bc i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but i also just loved hanging with you in charleston and can't wait to come back um i tried to get i tried to get the whole family to move to your neighborhood Yeah, (laughs) it just didn't really work but uh (laughs) i'll keep trying yeah like no we need to live there by the by the ocean right there that's where we need to live so nice oh man I found a, I found a really 
amazing river to paddle my kayak and my paddleboard. Mm, cool. And it's only about six miles north of, of where I live. And it's saltwater. So I've actually pulled oysters straight out of the water, to throw them in my cooler, take them home and shuck them and eat them. That's living. It's pretty amazing. And it's a, it's a beautiful, like there's so many really just beautiful and more kind of like rustic places or sort of off, off the beaten path. Love it. So it's nice. You guys get down here. If, if one of my two theories about the future comes true, it'll be like last man on earth where you can just, you know, get a, an RV from someone, drive out here and then pick whichever house you want. <laughs> hey, maybe that'll happen. Yeah. That's how I could definitely afford to live like right by obstinate daughter, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's either going to be that or it's, you'll find me down underneath the street with uh, Dennis Leary eating rat burgers because. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we want to have a cocktail to pair with that. Restaurant and all the, all the, you know, things that are bad for you are illegal and no one's allowed to touch each other. <laughs> you don't use toilet paper anymore to wipe your butt. <laughs> oh, man. Who knows where we're going now? Yeah. <laughs> are you, are you growing some things there? Um, you know, right now, the only thing I have a little like screen and porch and it has a really flourishing aloe plant mm. and then I have a pretty good mint plant going. That's and great. And just outside, I have a Meyer lemon tree that's about four years old. This is the first year we've gotten fruit and we have a bunch of lemons that are about golf ball size. Mm-hmm. Um, so they haven't, they haven't fully grown and they haven't turned yet and it's getting a little bit to the warm side, but it kind of stays in the shade most of the time. So I'm hopeful that, uh, in about a month or so, I'll actually be able to pull some Meyer lemons off the tree and make delicious things with that. Oh, that's amazing. That's like one of my favorite citrus. So, and I love that you're growing something that just takes, it takes a while and some things are like that. Like you want to grow blueberries, you want to have rhubarb, you got to start it and, uh, just nurture it for a while. Totally. Well, amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to talk to you. Great to have you on. We're, we're going to check yeah. in with you again, like on your uh, film and cocktail pairings. I think that's something yeah, we'll have to revisit. And we'll... Scratching some notes out. So I'll send you, uh, once I have something, some actual articles written, I'll send them to you and you can share them. Yeah, and we'll uh, check back in with you because we were going to do a whole Vesper episode Yeah. to coincide with the Bond movie that was supposed to come out two or three weeks ago. Yeah scrapped that like it like the movie got scrapped but uh it's supposed to come out in november so hopefully we can revisit the vesper i'll say coming back to what you know we were talking about with the vesper what i love one of the things i love about that cocktail in the movie isn't he drinking it on the plane he gets that bartender on the plane to start making them yeah and he's just crushing them on the plane i love that yes i love that he's just like fuck it i'm just gonna drink on the plane yeah. nonstop. Like he is drinking nonstop in that movie. Yeah. And it's like his first well, that's the funny thing is he orders it and then throughout the rest of the movie, pretty much every time you see him that he's not fighting with somebody, he's drinking faster. <laughs> Amazing. Oh yeah. God. What a legend. Which once you start drinking them, that's that's what you want to do. Yeah. And I know it sounds cliche because it's a line from the movie, but they're so smooth and they're so delicious. And it's just, it's what you want to do. And they're definitely like, I mean, they're strong, but they're also, they're yeah. just inhibition lower, lower verse. Yeah. Yes, for sure. <laughs> You're like, I just had booze soup. I need yeah. some more. Yeah. 
Oh, and in, in honor of Delaney Oyster House martini program, you know, where you can have the vodka or the gin, the smooth or the shattered, you know. Oh, yeah. I have, so I have really special, specific pairings for that. So the martini itself has two movie pairings. Okay. The vodka martini I paired with the movie Slapshot. And the gin martini I paired with the movie A Simple Favor, which if you have not watched, is definitely excellent quarantine viewing. Haven't seen that one. You definitely need to check it out and drink a gin martini while you do it. I'll do it. That's an assignment I can get behind. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> All right. Jess All right. Bacchus. You, Thank you so much. Love you. We will talk to you soon on Liquid Gold. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. Bye. All right. Thanks so much to Jess Bacchus from Delaney Oyster House. And I really hope her and the whole crew over there get back to work as soon as they can, as safe as they can. Shout out to Kenny Lyons, Kevin King, David Howard, all the fine people behind Delaney Oyster House. Um, as promised, I do want to give this five-ingredient rhubarb crisp recipe that um, was on the wall at Jenny's Ice Cream for a long time, going back a few years. I haven't been in there in a little while, so I'm not sure if it's still up there. I don't think it is. I was over there, this must have been five years ago or so. I had all this rhubarb in my garden. I needed to do something with it. Um, I lived at the time right down the street from Jenny's Ice Cream here in East Nashville, and it was just great because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to make that. It's sitting right there on the wall. So I took a picture of it, made it a, a handful of times over the years, and it's just incredible. So it's just five ingredients, rhubarb, sugar, all-purpose flour, unsweetened large flake coconut, and unsalted butter. So you toss two pounds of rhubarb, all that are cut up into half-inch slices. You put that into an eight-inch square baking dish and coat with two-thirds cup sugar, and two tablespoons flour. Bake at 375 degrees for 25 minutes. Meanwhile, in a medium bowl, rub half cup flour, three-quarter cup sugar, two-thirds cup coconut flakes, and one stick cold butter between your fingertips until pea-sized crumbles form. Remove rhubarb from the oven and sprinkle the crumble on top. Return to the oven and bake 40 more minutes until the crumble is evenly browned and the rhubarb is tender. Let it cool and then the folks at Jenny's say serve it with their sweet cream ice cream, which I could co-sign that. Um, but that's an incredible, really simple rhubarb crisp that is just phenomenal. So I did want to give that recipe. And maybe if you've got a little wood sorrel hanging around for that extra little herbaceous, tangy, oxalic acid zing uh, maybe you could add some of that to your rhubarb crisp all right everybody the time is now for <laughs> booze news with kenneth deadman garden teed what's up my brother on the line what up mike how you doing hey I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. Um, beard's getting full. Fridge is getting empty. I know you've been traveling the wide open west. Have you started looking at Travels with Charlie yet? No, no, I haven't yet. <laughs> That'd be a good book for uh, your wide open travels in the western U.S. Yeah, I've kept my eyes pretty much on the road. Yesterday we left out of eastern Kansas, drove all the way across, all the way across Kansas to the mountains, so... 
across that uh, Ogala, which is named after the Ogala, Ogala native tribe. It's uh, one of the largest aquifers in the world. Pretty cool. I got to see pretty much how I always slept through the, the Midwest, driving across the Midwest, but I watched it all happen. I watched the land form and climb up into the mountains. Went up to about 10,000 feet yesterday. Definitely wow. the highest I, the highest I've ever been with like with my feet with my feet on on the land. Yeah, the highest you've been since seeing episode 9. <laughs> yeah, yeah. High up. <laughs> Colorado's beautiful, man. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we cro- I crossed like where we're where we're camped out right now is not far from the continental divide. We crossed that last night. That was that was pretty trippy to see, you know, one end of the road all the water flows east and eventually runs out the Mississippi and all the water on the other side goes west to the Pacific. Yep. But what was what was really, uh, I guess, disheartening, I don't mean to be like Debbie Downer, but in this little valley that we were in before we got up to the Continental Divide, the last climb to, to the Continental Divide, there were really just two industries there. It's huge, huge valley. One was a, a huge cattle ranch. And most of the land, though, was gas fracking. So I got a little disheartened because I was excited to see this this point where all this major water flows out of the Rockies on our end, on the east end of the Rockies. The first water that the highest point touches is uh, is fracked water, which then gets polluted and runs all the way across the Great Plains to the Mississippi. But it was beautiful to see. What do you got for booze news this week? Well, Mike, I'm a sucker for a Buffalo Trace story. This week, Buffalo Trace has announced its first release for 2020 of their experimental series, um, the 23rd release of the line. This expression is a four-year weeder uh, that goes into the barrel at uh, 114 proof. Then it is rebarreled with water and aged for an additional eight years barrels themselves were watered down to 100 proof they're bottled at right around 47 percent so um, 94 proof which is a pretty pretty good number for buffalo trace abv that's uh the same proof as elmer t lee which is my favorite Mm. um uh, 375 milliliter bottle will be uh conveniently 47 dollars a piece so have yeah, if you have that extra change in your pocket, I don't know if now is the right time to to get a very expensive bottle of not much whiskey. But I do remember a time when you brought these in. The first time that I ever tasted these, uh, they were experimenting with with their uh, delusion of water. Makes a lot of sense because water is considered, you know, the universal solvent. That being that there's not any other liquid on earth not no liquid that we know of that is a solvent to more uh, minerals chemicals nutrients so it kind of makes sense that water more water goes into the barrel because it can interact a lot more intensely with the the oak buffalo trace has something like twenty five thousand barrels in warehouse c presumably twenty five thousand different experiments I'd be a bummer if 20,000 of those were all water. <laughs> but think, think about it, though. Maybe that was the, that was the trick to, uh, to speeding up aging. You just age the water. 
make the whiskey at it. I'm sure that that's one of the experiments coming up. Yeah. Also, in whiskey news, out of Mexico, the Oaxaca region, which is a small but emerging whiskey-producing area of the great country of Mexico, expression of Abasolo, 100% corn whiskey. Yes, uh, I have heard about this. Aged for two years, um, they're, they're, they're kind of like gimmick, other than using heirloom corn varieties that have been cultivated in Mexico for right around 5,000 years. They also nixtamalize their corn, which is self-proclaimed the only distillery to do that as of now. Nixtamalization, of course, is the nerdy word for uh, freeing the whole from the corn kernel. The Abasolo brand is committed to supporting local farmers and strictly using Mexican heirloom corns, primarily a varietal called Cacahuazintle. Wow, nice pronunciation. Yeah, uh, that took me about 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, happy um, happy Cinco de Mayo, Mike. What are you, you going to drink for, for Cinco de Mayo? Are you going to have a drink for Cinco de Mayo? Well, it has been easier to get limes from the grocery store. It was a little difficult for a little while. We're probably just going to do some Margs. Yeah, nothing crazy. Uh, we have done. We have been doing some Palomas. I talked to Jess a little bit about doing Palomas. So yeah, probably probably do some Palomas tomorrow for uh, for Cinco de Mayo. And then another thing that that is cool that Oaxaca is doing is they're also making some rum out there. So it's cool to see in an area known for agave spirits and mezcal and and all that that there's more experimentation going on. So that's something to keep an eye on for sure. The wider world of agave is just unfair because it goes with everything and is so delicious. Yeah, well, you know, like I think we need to amend amend that and start saying mezcal is unfair. <laughs> well, we tequila, anything made from um, agave. This is this is a nerd point. Anything made from agave is technically a mezcal first. You know what I'm going to be drinking tomorrow? What are you drinking? Pachuga. Ooh, nice. Yeah, got a hold of a bottle of uh, Fidencio, which is uh, also an emerging brand in the United States market, that is. Yeah, I like their mezcal for sure. Their Pachuga, it's, it's, they distill it twice, but then they distill it the third time with uh, like a fat-free chicken breast, which I was surprised by because for some reason I thought that they had, like the, the chicken actually had total contact with the distillate, but... Most of the time, it's just kind of steamed nearby during the, thir- the the last distillation process. I was thinking more like they were using animal fat as a fat wash, but that's not the case. Anyway, looking forward to it. And also, if I was at home, I would probably make my own pachuga, like a Nashville hot chicken, and I would fat wash it. So, Well, you could definitely do a cocktail, like... Uh... Do a nice cayenne salt rim. Mix yeah. mix together like two tablespoons cayenne pe- cayenne pepper. Um, paprika too. Yeah, a teaspoon paprika, teaspoon chili powder, maybe two tablespoons salt. That'd be a good rim. Yeah, remember once upon a time we were going to do agave month. That was either going to be April or May uh, before quarantine hit hard. And now we're doing Garden Teen, which has been a lot of fun, a lot of great feedback. So thanks, everybody, for checking that out. 
but maybe we can do agave month in August. We have so much to talk about with like Bacanora, Racia, all these different expressions. Even so tall would be a lot of fun. We could get Adam on, get our buddy Adam Morgan on talking some so tall. I guess we could look at, you know, you could say, hold on to summer with agave month, August, liquid gold. So there's my promo for agave month. It's one of my favorite times to drink tequila on the porch. Yeah, hold on to summer. You can find some shade. And that'll be right when the second wave's hitting and everybody's going to be back inside. So (laughs) just kidding. I'm going to edit that out. We'll just call it first wave part two. (laughs) Can extend it out then, yeah. It's like Kill Bill. Well, cool, man. We'll be talking to you later this week. Yeah, Mike. I'll keep you updated. Um, I'll turn on my location. You stay safe out there. Uh, yeah, you too. You too. We are keeping our distance. Yeah, if you end up through Utah, watch out for those Utah troopers. Oh, I heard. <laughs> heard that. We will talk to you soon. Very soon. Thank you for filing your reports Dil- diligently, sir. About diligently. <laughs> All right, we love you. We will talk to you next time on Garden Teened. Thanks, Mike. All right, thanks so much to Kenneth co-host here on liquid gold and thanks so much to jess backus for talking to us about movies and cocktail pairings and that amazing old cuban recipe that she gave we'll talk more about strawberry on future episodes here on the new series we're doing garden teened right here on liquid gold we own this town we own this town.net so thank you to michael eads and everybody over there along with darren our intern jess matchin on the art and upright t-rex music for the lovely tunage and we'll see you next time my name's mike wolf check out my book garden to glass grow your drinks from the ground up this is the uh i guess the closest thing i'm doing to a book tour at this point but uh it's available bookshop.org you can help local bookstores parnassus here in nashville and the bookshop in east nashville you can help getting the book through them and uh they're doing some online ordering and you can also through bookshop.org Uh, help to benefit local bookstores. Thanks to everybody at Turner Publishing. Got a really cool project to announce here in the coming weeks. We're talking a little bit about that, as well as all of the beautiful things coming to fruition in the garden. But we look forward to more Garden Teened and more Liquid Gold coming to you soon. Cheers, everybody.